Hey, everybody. How we doing? How we doing? Everybody feeling good? How many of you had a test this week? Couple. How many of you had two tests this week? Three tests this week? Four tests this week? Anybody have five tests? There's no way. A couple of you with four tests this week. Awesome. Well, hey, listen, listen. I, um, I want to echo what, um, what Rachel said. Um, I think that camp ministry is seriously, like, it has a special place in my heart. Um, I cannot recommend more um, for you to invest a small season of your life, one of your summers, serving a cause that's bigger than yourself. Um, I was saved through camp ministry, got to um, spend my summers as a college student serving as a counselor in camp ministry, and it changed my life. It was actually like the door into me going into full-time ministry. So if the Lord is like pricking your heart to stop by that table and have a conversation with them, I would strongly encourage you to do that. You never know. It just might change your life. All right? Um, if you would, grab your Bible. Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 2. As you're turning there, um, I wonder, are there any Survivor fans in the room tonight? Let's go. I am Team Survivor. Um, as of a few years ago, actually, I'm Team Survivor. Haven't been um, a huge Survivor fan up until I got married, but let me tell you why I'm such a huge Survivor fan now. The reason I'm such a huge Survivor fan is because it is like the most fun TV show ever when you're married. Now, those of you who are single, like, you can have a lot of fun with it. But Aaliyah and I, man, we love that show. And let me tell you why. Because it's not the kind of TV show that, like, you zone out to everything else in your life to have to zone into the show. It's the kind of show that you can watch, and then, like, every few minutes you press pause and go, hey, what would you do here? Who would you vote out here? If you were playing this challenge, like, uh, what would your strategy be? You know, you start to ask those kinds of questions. And so we just have great conversations. We love the show. But I'll tell you one of our favorite parts about the show is the challenges. Anybody, like, love the challenges in Survivor? Like, just love, I mean, I love to see blood drawn. I love, like, bring it, right? Um, they are awesome. They do a great job at coming up with creative ideas for games for these competitors to compete in. It's really interesting. As I was studying our passage that we're going to be walking through tonight, there was a, a game from Survivor that popped into my mind that I think paints a good picture of the topic we're going to be discussing, and I wanted to share it with you. Um, so the game that popped into my head is this game. It's basically an obstacle course. Uh, but there's a little twist to it. It's multiple teams kind of moving through an obstacle course at the same time, okay? And first one to complete the obstacle course wins. The catch is you're blindfolded, your entire team. And you're also attached together with like these ankle cuffs at the ankle. So you're one unit and you're moving through this obstacle course together, and, and, and you can't see any of the obstacles. And so you're, you're basically just, you know, hoping you find your way through. And you're like, well, how do you navigate something that you can't see? Well, there's one person that's on, on your team that doesn't have a blindfold on. And they're up on a tower, like way above bird's eye view. They can see the entire field. And their responsibility is to call out commands to your team 
and help you navigate through the obstacle course. So they might say things like, hey, everybody two steps forward, everybody stop, everybody jump, there's a log in front, like, well, you know, whatever, right? And so they're responsible for guiding you through the course. Here's the thing. It's not just your team that's yelling instructions. Like part of the point of the game is that you have to be able to decipher, like pull your team's voice, recognize the voice of your team in the midst of all the other team's voices. Because it's not just your team who, who's calling out commands. There's other team members who are calling out commands to the, to the other teams that are competing. Does that make sense? So, so basically, the whole point of the game is to be able to distinguish one voice in the midst of all the other voices. And I, I really think that's not too different from the Christian walk today. That we are, as followers of Jesus, and just really not even followers of Jesus, but just citizens of this world today in the culture we live in, we are surrounded by voices. You guys, you guys get that? Like, we are surrounded by voices. There has never been a time period in history where it's been easier to have a platform. You realize that? Today, all you need is an opinion and access to a social media account. And you can, you can start to gain a little bit of traction and have a platform. People will listen to you. There's also never been a time period in history where there are more voices competing for your attention. Do you realize that you can go on to any social media uh, platform of your choice? You can go to Google or any sort of search engine, type in a topic, and in seconds, fractions of a second, like millions of, of responses and people's ideas and theories will be generated about the topic of your choice. And each of those things that are generated is attached to someone who has an idea and wants you to hear it. That's the, the age that we live in. And, and I think that's increasingly dangerous for us as Christians today because there are just as many voices that exist, just as many people who might claim to be experts that want to tell you, inform you about Jesus, want to inform you about your faith, want to inform you about theology, want to inform you about religion as a whole, right? You're surrounded by voices. You guys know the TikTok theologians, you know the, the Instagram preachers, right? We're surrounded by all kinds of different people who have opinions and ideas about who this person Jesus is, was, what he means for us today, and it's a dangerous thing. Right? And, and so we, we've got to be careful. Matter of fact, yesterday I typed in the word Jesus on Google. Just the word Jesus, hit search. And Google told me that in a matter of three tenths of a second, that about two billion and ten million results came up. Each and every one of those results, somebody with an idea or an opinion about who Jesus is and what he means for you today. So we're surrounded by voices, and here's why that's dangerous. Because if you're not careful, you can come across teaching and ideas that sound very convincing, but are untrue. Like, not all of those voices are true. You ever heard anybody say, don't believe everything you read on the internet? This is me telling you that, right? So not all of those things are true. And, and, and here's the danger. This could lead to you believing in something that sounds a lot like the gospel, but actually runs contrary to it. 
There are a lot of dangerous voices out there, which is why in our passage tonight, Paul is going to charge Timothy to watch out for those voices. The Bible would refer to these voices as false teaching. And we're going to talk about that idea tonight, how to watch out for false teaching. And you may hear me say that tonight, and you may go, really? Like, that's what we're talking about? False teaching? Are you kidding me? Like, aren't there a few more prevalent topics that we could have discussed? Well, one, we're walking through this book of 2 Timothy together. We have been for three weeks, and this is just the topic that, that we're coming across this week. But I think it's really timely. Matter of fact, I don't know that there is that there are many more prevalent topics today than this topic of false teaching, which I think is it's really cool that we found ourselves in this book at this time because I, I believe it's really prevalent for our day and age. And I don't think, you know, it's not like if I were to go and pick from a list of topics, this would have probably been my, my top one, but we, we need to talk about this, right? And so I think it's really cool that we landed on this um, this week. And so here, here's my fear tonight. My fear tonight is that there would be people who have a faith that is built on something they heard on Instagram or something they heard on TikTok, and, and that faith is so close to the gospel that it sounds really good to you, but it's far enough away that it would keep you out of heaven. Like, that's a reality. And that's, that's my fear tonight, and so that's why I think it's important that we talk about this, and so I hope you'd lean in. I hope you'd see this topic as important. And so tonight, what we're going to do, we're going to study this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul, is, he's going he's gonna to teach us how do we live in a world where we're surrounded by false teaching, where we're surrounded by voices, uh, by, by all different kinds of voices and ideas, and in this passage, Paul is going to give us um, some things to stay away from. And, and you can think about that as like how to have a good defense, okay? And not only is he going to give us some things to stay away from, but he's also going to give us some things that we should do. And you can think about that as like having a good offense. And so tonight, we're going to talk about how to have a good defense. We're going to talk about how to have a good offense all to help us watch out for false teaching. So, sorry, no special teams tonight. We're just covering, uh, you know, the, the defense. We're just covering the offense. Uh, but that's going to be how we spend our time together. So if you would, let's read together in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading in verse 14. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, remind them of these things. Charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And I want you to, to notice verse 15 there. We're going to come back and actually spend a lot of time talking about verse 15. Verse 16, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So that's our passage tonight. We're going to spend some time, like I said, talking about how to have a good offense, how to have a good defense, and we're going to use that passage to teach us how to do so. 
And so the first thing that I want us to see tonight is how to have a good defense. How do we watch out for false teaching? It starts with having a good defense. That there are some things that Paul charges Timothy to watch out for. And the first thing that Paul challenges Timothy to watch out for is to resist the temptation to quarrel about words. Did you guys catch that in verse 14? Resist the temptation to quarrel about words. He, he, he would use the phrase in verse 16, watch out for irreverent babble. So, so what is he talking about? Well, in, in verse 14, whenever, you, whenever he says, uh, remind them, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, that phrase, quarrel about words, it literally means to have a war with words. It's the idea of like splitting hairs, all right? And the, and the reason uh, that that's significant for Timothy in this time period is because we know from a few weeks ago that Timothy is actually the pastor at the church in Ephesus. And the thing that you need to know about the church in Ephesus is that they had like a knack for knowledge. They, they loved knowledge, okay? And so much so that they thought there was this like popularity or higher status that came alongside of having more knowledge, and it often resulted in like debates and disunity in the church surrounding theological issues. Like they were constantly back and forth at each other, constantly kind of jarring with one another. And it caused a lot of division and disunity in the church. And Paul says, don't do this. No wars about words. Like be careful. Watch out for this. It's part of your defense. And you might quickly assume, well, we don't really do anything like this anymore today. This isn't really prevalent to us, and I, I would say you're wrong. It may not happen in the same way, but this, this mindset most certainly takes place today still. Here's how I know. Um, we, we do things like this when we go looking for fights, theological debates to get in. Anybody ever known somebody like that? Like they are just, they live their life ready to take on the next person in a theological argument. Like they just walk around with theological boxing gloves ready to stick somebody in the jaw. That is, it's like their mission. And have you ever noticed that people like this, it almost seems like they're more passionate about things that they disagree with other people on than things that they agree with other people on. This is that mindset. This is quarreling about words. We have this same mindset whenever we go round and round about theological topics, making no progress. I can remember in the church that I grew up in, uh, back in Jacksonville, kind of the, the friend group that I was in, around the time that I got into college, somebody from our friend group kind of brought up the idea of Calvinism. <gasps> you know, And so they brought up this idea of, of Calvinism, and if you don't know anything about Calvinism, Really quickly, it's simply like a doctrine that would say that, that God predetermines those who are saved, okay? Um, but we're not going to get super far into that. This is a story. Uh, and so in that friend group, somebody brings up this idea of Calvinism, which is a polarizing thing. People, people in my friend group began to like take sides. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're around people in my friend group, and if that person's not on the same side that you're on, now things are like kind of awkwardly tense between, between us. And it, it just got weird, man. It like wasn't beneficial. And when, when you got together, people are kind of going back and forth, but they're just really going round and round and round in circles and making no progress whatsoever. Paul says, avoid it. It does no good. It does no good. We have this same mindset when, uh, 
we have an aim to sound like the smartest person in the room. I don't know if you've ever known anybody like that. Maybe you are that person that you just go about life. You're like sitting on the, the newest theological term that you learn, and you're just ready to bring that thing out in conversation. So everybody's like, wow, really? Look at you. So they know how smart you are. This is that same mindset. This is quarreling about words. And Paul says, stay away from this. Why? Well, he says in verse 14, did you catch it at the end of the verse? He says, it does no good. Like nothing beneficial comes from this. He also says, it ruins the hearers, which, which I take to mean twofold. One, it ruins those who are a part of it. Like it's not good for anybody who's engaged in, in this war of words actively. But it's also not good for the bystanders. That if somebody who doesn't know Jesus hears followers of Jesus quarreling about words, their impression of our faith is not going to be something that's attractive to them. It's not going to be something that they, that they want for themselves. And so it, it ruins the hearers. But then in verse 16, Paul says, not only that, it leads people into more and more ungodliness. Now, that's kind of a weird way to say this. And this may be one of those you know, moments that you're reading the Bible and you're like, why does the Bible have to be so extra? Like, why doesn't it just say it makes you less godly? It, why does it have to? It leads you more into more and more ungodliness. Well, it's actually kind of a, an interesting translation from the Greek. This is Paul trying to be ironic. And I'm sure he was more ironic in Greek than in today's English. But let me kind of explain what I mean or what he meant what he meant. So what he's getting at here when he says leads you into more and more, that little phrase, he's, he's trying to convey the idea of progress, that there's progress being made. So, so literally what he would be saying is, hey, when you, when you have this mindset, when you engage in a war of words, you, you may feel like you're making a lot of progress. And you are. It's just progress in the wrong direction. That's what Paul's getting at. That's what he's saying. This is, this is a, the reason that we have to avoid these, these wars of words. And I'll say this, y'all, because some of you, are, are, your gears are turning, you're thinking through this. There is a difference between arguing wars of words and seeking to understand. There's a difference, all right? We can have a discussion, you and I, about you know, something that you believe that maybe is a little different than what I believe. And we can have like an edifying conversation where I seek to get, gain a greater understanding of what you believe and why you believe it, and you do the same thing for me. But we can have a conversation about that same exact topic. And, and when you come to me and ask me a question, you don't listen to my response at all, and your job, you think, is simply to win me to your side, and I think that my job is simply to win you to my side. That's when it becomes a problem. That's called war of words. That's argument. That, that leads you into more and more ungodliness. It's progress in the wrong direction, okay? That's what Paul says. Watch out for this. But Paul also says, not only do we have a responsibility to watch out for quarreling over words, but we also have a responsibility to watch out for false teaching. See, war over words can actually lead to false teaching. You can see that in these verses. There's like this progression that starts in verse 16. He says, avoid irreverent babble, what we were just talking about, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. 
And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they're upsetting the faith of some. So war over words turns into false teaching. It's a really easy thing to do. You, you make non-essential things essential, and all of a sudden you've got somebody that steps into false doctrine, false teaching, and they take other people with them. So Paul says, watch out for the source. Watch out, like stay away from, don't engage in wars over words. But then in addition, if you, if you see false teaching, we have a responsibility as believers in that regard as well. So what's our responsibility? What's our defense when we catch wind of some voices that are, that are not voices of our team, right? What's our responsibility there? I was thinking about this um, actually earlier today. I want you to think of false teaching, so teaching that runs contrary to the gospel. It may sound a lot like the gospel, but it runs contrary to it. I want you to think of that like a rip current at the beach, like a rip current. You guys know what a rip current is? It's, I mean, it's a dangerous thing. You're out swimming, rip current takes you further out into the ocean. You can't fight it. It's a strong current that can sweep you away. I want you to think of false teaching as a rip current. Now, do you have any business swimming in a rip current? No. Unless you've got some training, unless you've got some sort of a flotation device, and you got somebody that's in that rip current that you need to go save. Does that make sense? So if, it, if, if there's no purpose, there's no reason to just go jump into a rip current and swim around. Why? Because you're, you're going to be very likely to be swept away. It's dangerous. You wouldn't do it. But if there's somebody that's in that rip current that needs saving, and, and you feel like the Lord has placed it on your heart to go to that person, and you've got good training, You've got people who can hold you accountable. You've got a, a safety device, a flotation device that can keep your head above water. Man, jump in that thing and swim to those people. Try to share the gospel with them and pull them out. But don't let it turn into war over words. That would be Paul's caution to us. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, I think that's a really good way for us to think about it because our job as Christians is not just to man stay as far away from false teaching as possible. Because if that was the case, how would we share the gospel with people who believe something like uh, believe in religions different than our own? We got to be prepared to step in, but we got to do so with the right training. We got to do so with good accountability, right? So we wouldn't just jump into a rip current for no reason with no training, with no flotation device. We would do so if the Lord has placed it on our heart to step in and go save someone who's been swept up in it. All right? So that's our responsibility for false teaching. But, but again, in the same way, we're, that we're not just going to go jump in a rip current. If, we have no, if, we ha if there is no reason to be listening to, stepping into false teaching, then it is our responsibility to stay as far away from it as possible. Okay? Like, like you stay as far away from it as possible. Get this. No matter how popular it may seem, no matter how many followers they have on Instagram, no matter how, how many uh, people are, are sharing it on their account, uh, no matter how seemingly smart the one teaching is, no matter how many big words they use, just because they use big words doesn't mean what they're saying is true, right? Uh, no matter how, how it makes you feel, this is important. 
Like, a, a lot of times, the way that I have seen people, college students even, get swept away by the rip current of false teaching is that they hear something on social media or from a friend that makes them feel good. Right? It's something that like affirms some sort of fleshly desire in them. It runs contrary to Scripture, and it gets them in a lot of trouble. Right? It, it, can, it can sweep you away. So even if it, no matter how it makes you feel, stay away from it if it, if it runs contrary uh, to the truth of Scripture. And in addition to that, you know, there are, there are people who teach the Bible today in a church, they're on YouTube. There are people who open a Bible in front of a church that used to be awesome, that used to be sound Bible teachers, and now they are not, okay? So no matter how good they used to be, you got to stay away from that too, all right? Um, you take these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Notice the Bible says that they swerved from the faith. You can't swerve from the faith if you, if you never had a faith to begin with. So it can still be false teaching, no matter how great they once were, no matter how sound their doctrine once was, all right? Uh, so this is our response to false teaching. Treat it like a rip current, man. Don't jump in it without, without training, without a purpose, without a flotation device. Our responsibility is this. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't get sucked into social media rabbit holes don't fall prey to the, the, the YouTube black hole, the, the church review attacks. Don't do it. It's a rip current. It'll, it'll take you up and sweep you away. Have a good defense. The second thing that we see in this passage is not only things that Paul says to avoid, but he's going to give us some things to do. And most of these are going to be found in verse 15. So Paul says, not only are you to have a good defense, but you're also to have a good offense. There are some things that you are called to do. If you remember that, that game, that survivor challenge that I told you about at the beginning of our time together, I, I said that that game is won not just by distinguishing, not by just like blocking out the voices of the people who are not on your team, but that game is also won by knowing the voice of the person that's on your team that's giving you those commands. And this is what having a good offense is all about. And so Paul is going to uh, jump into this in verse 15. He's going to give Timothy, Timothy some things to do. He says at the beginning of verse 15, if you'd look at it with me, uh, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. You guys see that? Do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved. In other words, Paul is saying, don't be worried about what other people will think when you don't listen to the voices of the other team. We got to be unashamed about this truth that, that we believe in. We got to be unashamed about it. I don't know if you guys realize this. I'm sure you do. It is like the stance that we take in Christian, as Christians especially in this day and age, is not a popular stance. Am, am I alone in feeling that? It's not a popular stance in this day and age. It's not a popular thing to say, hey, I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Not popular. It's not a popular thing to, to say to the world that, hey, just because you feel something doesn't make that true. It's not a popular thing in this culture 
to say to, to the world that something that feels like love to a lot of people is actually sinful. It's not a, it's not a popular thing to, to go to the world and say, hey, I believe in a kingdom that, that is actually built on making myself weak, making myself less, humbling myself. It's not a popular thing uh, that, that we anchor ourselves to, right? And so the temptation there, because it's not popular, is that, that it makes us shameful. That we're ashamed about the very truth that we cling to. And, and Paul says, hey, present yourself to God as one approved. Like it's the Lord that's going to do the work of approving you. You're seeking the approval of him, not the approval of man. So be unashamed about the truth that you claim to believe in. You know, I was thinking about um, this reality earlier um, this week. There's really two end games to our lives. Just two. One would be that we are approved by God. We get approval from God, but we're rejected by the world. And the other is that we're approved by the world and we're rejected by God. And I think it's just probably good for you to make up your mind tonight which camp you want to fall into once your life is over. Would you rather fall into the camp that, man, they, were, they like got approval from the world, but they were rejected by their heavenly father and have to spend eternity separated from him? Or would you rather be somebody who, who the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I, I find the work that you did on earth worth it. Come on into my kingdom. I know that there were some people that, that looked at you funny, that didn't quite uh, agree with the things that you said, but that's how it works in my kingdom. Come on in. Which would you rather hear? I, I, I know for me, I would much rather seek approval from the Lord rather than seek approval from man. And there's a lot of people that try to get the best of both worlds. They spend all their time looking for approval from, from both. I'm looking to be approved by God, and I want to be a friend of the world. I want to be a friend of God, and I want to be a friend of the world. And here's the thing. Most of the people that try to seek approval from both end up finding rejection from both. You, you end up trying to be both a friend of God and a friend of the world, and you end up an enemy of God and an enemy of the world. It's a dangerous thing to try to pursue both. So my challenge to you tonight would be make up your mind as to which one you want. Make up your mind tonight, hey, you need to pursue approval from God, even if it means rejection from the world. Be unashamed about truth. That's your first piece of offense when it comes uh, to, to surviving in a world where there are all these different voices that are trying to get you to buy in to what they think. He goes on to say in verse 15, um, he says, present yourself to God as one approved. Then he says, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Just driving that point home, right? That you have no need to be ashamed. This picture of the worker here is like a picture of an ambassador for a king. You know what an ambassador of a king does? They receive a message from the king, and then they are sent to carry that message to a foreign dignitary in a foreign land. This is our role. We are a worker, an ambassador for our king. And our job is not to change his message. Our job is just to share what we've heard. 
That, that we are unashamed about truth. We're a worker who has no need to be ashamed. You know, many of the people that I know who have fallen victim to this rip current of false teaching that have been swept away, it started because they just could not get over the fear of man aspect uh, that, that uh, they have to conquer in order to be a follower of Jesus, right? They basically got to a place where they were looking to, to uh, reconcile the things that their flesh wanted with the things that the Bible said. And so they go and they try to search for things, people who affirm what they hope to be true and what the Bible says is true, and mesh those things together, and that's a dangerous game. There's a lot of people who, as ambassadors of the king, they want to try to soften the blow of that message to a world that needs to hear it. They, they, want, to, they want to try to soften that blow to pull you off course, but man, don't let that deceive you. Be unashamed about truth. Let, let God's word be the filter through which you evaluate all truth, not someone's opinion, not what somebody else has to say. All right? Um, so I, he, Paul says in verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And get this last part. Rightly handling the word of truth. If you don't hear anything else tonight, in regard to this topic of all these different voices that, that are fighting for your attention, that are fighting for you to buy into what they claim to be true. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Rightfully handle the word of truth. This is the word of truth. And rightfully handling the word of truth, rightfully handling the truth of God's word, uh, it looks like recognizing this as authority. It looks like holding it in the highest regard. And so you may find yourself tonight going, all right, Logan, we're talking about, we're talking about false teaching. And, and you're saying there's all these voices that are coming at me trying to get me to believe in what it is that they believe. And I've seen it. I've seen the, the Instagram theologians. I, I've seen the TikTok preachers. Like I, I've seen it all. How do I know what's, what to listen to and what not to? How do I know what to believe and what to discard? And my answer to you tonight would be this. That you evaluate those things the same way that a federal agent would evaluate counterfeit money. I've used this as an illustration in Revive before, so some of you guys already see where I'm going. But you know, when federal agents are trained to detect counterfeit bills, they are not trained and taught, here's all the different ways that people will counterfeit. They'll change the material. They'll change the watermark. They'll change this. They'll change this. That's not how they're trained. They're not trained by going, here's all the different fakes. They're trained by learning about the real thing, like recognizing what a real, genuine U.S. dollar looks like. And knowing that thing so well that if anything looks slightly off, that they can detect that it's counterfeit. You guys see where I'm going? This is the real thing. 
The word of God, rightfully handling the word of truth, means to, to study this book. To, to know it, man, to, to get in it and, and dig. Know what you believe and why you believe it. And know it so well that you can recognize a counterfeit. Not because you've been trained in all the different ways that people fake it. But because you know the real thing that well. You can spot any differences. Does that make sense? That, that's our call as followers of Jesus. That's what it looks like to rightfully handle the word of truth. But here's what I think kind of fights against people doing that. There are a lot of people uh, that, are, that are serious enough about their faith to know the essentials, right? Uh, they're, they're serious enough about their faith to know there's a guy named Jesus. He's the son of God. He, he died on a cross. He was buried he rose from the dead three, day, three days later, and if I place my faith in him, I get eternal life. And that's their knowledge of Scripture. Like, that's how much they know about their faith. They know the essentials. They're, they're serious enough about their faith to know the essentials, but they're not serious enough to get their hands dirty and get some deep-rooted convictions about what they believe and why they believe it. And this is what we got to be willing to do as followers of Jesus, man. We don't just need to, to know the essentials. We got to be willing to get our hands dirty, to get in this book and, and dig a little, to get some deep-rooted convictions in why we believe what we believe. We're not just opening it and reading it. We're studying it. We're orienting our lives around it. And so as the, as the band makes their way up tonight, we'll, we'll land the plane here. Here's my challenge to all of us. I want, I want all of us today in this room, again, really prevalent topic. There's voices all over the place, you guys. I, I think we're all in agreement there. There are voices all over the place that want to take us off course, sweep us away in, in a current of lies. And so here's my challenge to, to all of us tonight. I want you to take some time, spend some time with the Lord as the band's going to lead us in this, in this response song, and ask the Lord, Lord, what would it look like to, to become someone who deeply studies and knows your word? Like, what would that look like? What does that person look like? And how do I look different than that? What needs to change about my life? in order to become a person that knows the word, that studies it deeply, that is so passionate about truth, that they're willing to do the work of rightfully handling the, this book, this, this thing that we know to be true. So, so that's your responsibility tonight. That's my challenge to you is what areas of your life need to look different? How do you need to, to dig deeper? How do, you need, how, how do you need to change in order uh, to take your faith beyond just the essentials? But that you would get to a point where, man, you're confident that with the right accountability, the right training, you can wade out into that water. You can go up to somebody who believes something differently than you, and you can have an edifying conversation with that person and maybe just share the gospel with them. Not getting, into, not getting into arguments, not theological debates, because that's just progress in the wrong direction. But that you're able to step into 
the rip current of false teaching as someone who's so rooted in their conviction about the truth of the gospel that you can keep your head above water. This is our responsibility as followers of Jesus. And so, so I hope that you would take that challenge tonight to get so serious about this thing that you're willing to get your hands dirty. Lord, what, what must look different about my life so that I can rightfully handle this word of truth? Tonight, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, um, I'd love to invite you to make that decision. Um, if you have questions about what it looks like to give your life to him, uh, what it looks like to spend eternity with him in heaven, I'll be down front here after the service, and I'd love to answer that question for you. Love to talk you through some next steps. If you have any questions about what that looks like, uh, I want to be a resource for you, and so I, I hope that you would uh, come and see me after service. But I want to invite us all to stand. I'm going to pray for us. And my challenge to you guys during this last response song is that you would simply look at your life and go, what needs to change so that I might be somebody who, who gets serious about rightfully handling the word of truth in a world that is, pushing, uh, that is pushing for us to believe lies that run contrary to the gospel? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this word tonight. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. God, that we, we have something we can anchor our lives in despite the current of the world, despite the current of culture. Lord, I pray for a group of believers tonight uh, who, who, Father, take your truth seriously, so much so that they are willing uh, to, to put in the work that it requires to know it, uh, to, to uh, to have their lives rooted in it, to live it out on a daily basis. God, that they wouldn't be ashamed of it, but God, they would just be your ambassadors, uh, that they unashamedly proclaim your truth and live your truth wherever they go. And that God, in a world surrounded by teaching that runs contrary to your gospel, that we would be a light to the rest of the world that says, follow us, we know where truth is. Lord, I, I pray that you would stir in hearts, that you would move in a powerful way. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen.